And Lord, now we open up your word. Oh Lord, feed our souls. Feed our souls with food that we can only get from you through Christ in your word. Help me, Lord. Give me the right heart. And I pray for for an outpouring of your spirit upon me as I preach and upon each of us as we listen. So come and work now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So as I was thinking about the passage for this week, uh, I was reminded, maybe this was a long time ago, but remember there was a Nike advertisement series, Nike, you know, the sports apparel company, and they had this marketing thing going on, and the slogan behind it was, just do it, right? You still see little bumper stickers around, okay, just do it, and that approach uh, works really well when it comes to sports, okay? Couch potatoes, all right? Running, just do it. All right, basketball, baseball, you can do it. Weightlifting, martial arts, whatever, just start doing it. So that approach works well for, for sports. The problem, though, is that too many, Christians thinks, think, too many Christians think that's the right approach for obeying God. Okay? They think that if they want to be patient, if they want to grow in being less greedy, if they want to obey God in some way, that, that they should be able to just do it. Just become more patient. Just stop being greedy. Just start obeying God. Just do it, is what they think. There's a problem, though. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. I mean, being patient, not being greedy, and the rest of God's commands, um, everything else God calls us to do, is not not just a matter of, of outer actions. Right? I mean, all of God's commands also touch heart desires. And while you can change some outer actions by just doing it, or you can come to church, you can change outer actions by just choosing, you can't change your heart by just choosing. But if Christians think that they're supposed to be able to obey by just choosing to obey, and they can't change their hearts by just choosing, then they're going to be trying again and again and again and failing again and again and again and be ending up deeply discouraged. Some of you are there. Okay, You think it's you. You think everybody else here is just choosing to obey and it's just like happening and you're the only one who can't just like make yourself obey, can't just choose to do it. But it's not you. Okay, now I've got good news for you if you are discouraged from trying so hard just to, to do obedience. The good news is that God has given us a resource which he promises will help us grow in obedience. He's given us a resource through Jesus Christ's death on the cross, through faith in him alone. He's given us a resource which if we will use this resource, we will see our hearts changing and our obedience growing through the years as we follow Jesus Christ. So what is that resource? Let's turn to Psalm 119, verses 129 through 136. We're making our way through Psalm 119. If you need a, need a Bible, thanks guys. Raise your hand. I want to make sure you all have a Bible to look at as we study this morning. I think we've got like four or five more weeks in Psalm 119. We're coming to the end. Last laugh. You could do it. Here we go. Oh, this has been powerful. Psalm 119, verses 129 through 136. And in the Bibles, we're passing out 
That's page 515 in those Bibles. So let's take a look at what the author says in these eight verses. Psalm 119, verses 129 through 136. Look at what he says. Start with verse 129. Your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. Turn to me and be gracious to me as is your way with those who love your name. Keep steady my steps according to your promise. And let no iniquity get dominion over me. Redeem me from man's oppression that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servants and teach me your statutes. My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. Okay wrestling with this passage this week. What's going on here? What's the author's flow of thought, which is what we want to do to really understand what's going on in a text? Not just pulling out one verse, but what's the flow of thought? As I studied this passage, I I saw that it breaks into three sections, and we're going to look at each section by raising a question which that section answers. Okay, so the first question he answers is, what happens when we walk in God's word? Okay? Walking in God's word means we're trusting Jesus Christ, we're relying on God's promises in the scriptures, we're seeking to obey Jesus Christ, we're repenting and confessing when we turn our hearts away from Christ. What does it mean to, what happens to us when we're walking in God's word in that way? And he mentions three things. First, 129, 130, 131. First, he says, we experience astonishing wonder. Verse 129, your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul keeps them. Okay, what are God's testimonies? That's just another way of describing the scriptures. Okay, the scriptures show us who God is. And he says God's testimonies are wonderful. Now, in the English language, that word wonderful is kind of wimpy. I mean, like, you know, ice cream is wonderful, and, you know, Jack Bauer is wonderful, okay, right? Okay, so in the Hebrew, the word wonderful is only used for God and what God does. Never used for what a human being does. So the word wonderful in in the Hebrew is talking about something extraordinary, something marvelous, something astonishing, something like, whoa! And God's testimonies are wonderful, which means that when you're walking in God's word, not perfect, but you're, you're fighting the fight of faith, you're repenting where you're sinning, you're seeking to grow, you're trusting Christ, you'll have times when you open up God's word and you see wonder in God. Because think about it, when we open up God's word, we see a being described here who has always been from eternity past with no beginning. I was just thinking about that two days ago. I was like, oh, it's just I don't, mind-blowing. We think about or we read about a God who spoke a word and all of a sudden, a universe, just like that. Who is this being, right, who's always been and who spoke and there was a universe? And not only that, but the wonder of the fact that he then would take on human flesh and be here on planet Earth, walking amongst us so we could see 
how real he is, how glorious he is, how majestic and beautiful and gracious he is. And then that he would go to the cross, fully God, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, on the cross, suffering horribly so we could be forgiven? Wonder of wonders. The God we read about in the scriptures is amazing, astonishing, marvelous, incredible. And one reason that's so important is that we've all got something inside of us that loves to be wowed by something, right? That's why you go see, you know, Godzilla stomping on cars or, or Captain America doing amazing feats, right? You'd like to go to the movies and just say, whoa, you know it's all CGI, but like, whoa, whoa, this is not CGI, computer-generated graphics. This is reality. And the glory, the wonder, the majesty of God, that when, you, when you're walking in God's word and you open up and you see him, that is infinitely better than what any other wonder there is in, in the world, in the universe. So one benefit that comes as we're walking in God's word is we will, we will see wonder, glory, majesty, awesomeness when we behold God and his word. That's one benefit. Second benefit, verse 130, when we walk in God's word, we gain true understanding. Now think about it like this. Here you are on planet earth, okay? You're here. And that should raise all kinds of questions. Why are you here? Who are you? How did you get here? What's this for? What's life about? What is your purpose? Right? I mean, big, huge questions. And and think of the tragedy of not knowing. Oh, you got one life and not to know? But think of then the, of the value of knowing the answers to those questions. Verse 130, where do we find answers to those questions? The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. So when we walk in God's word, we gain true understanding, infinite value. Third, verse 131, When we walk in God's word, we receive heart satisfaction. Look what he says. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. Okay, it's a strange picture. To have your mouth be open and to be panting is a picture of extreme thirst. Okay? So picture August driving through Death Valley. How hot does it get in Death Valley in August? 120 plus, probably, okay? And you didn't take any water with you because, hey, we're just, you know, straight shot, no problem. And then your car breaks down right at a sign that says, next gas station, 20 miles. So just feel how thirsty you would be. You get out and you start walking. Mile one, mile two, mile four, mile 12, mile 16, 120 degrees. I mean, just like really, really thirsty, Okay. You'd be opening your mouth wide and panting. And then if a, if a truck pulled up, water truck, you know, guy says, here's, you need water, you got water. You'd be opening your mouth really wide and really panting. You'd be longing for that water. And that's exactly what he says here. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. So what is he so thirsty for is God's commandments. Why? 
Why is he longing for God's commandments, thirsting for God's commandments, desiring God's commandments? It's because when we walk in God's word, when we're trusting Christ, when we're trusting his promises, when we're seeking to obey him, when we're confessing our sins, repenting of our of our rebellion against him, when that comes up, when we're walking in God's word, he will give you times when as you open up God's word, he will pour living water into your soul. He will so satisfy you with who he is, the truth of the cross, the truth of his resurrection, the truth of his faithfulness. I was glad, Seth, you had us repeat that line this morning about God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness. Okay, Some of you needed to hear that this morning. God is faithful. And you open up the scriptures and you see the faithfulness of God to all of his people. He's never broken a promise he's made, ever. Ever. And you, you read about who God is in Christ And the Holy Spirit helps you to see and feel his glory and your heart thirsts are completely satisfied. We talk about that a lot here because it's a main theme of the scriptures. And so when we walk in God's word, we receive heart satisfaction. So in these first three verses, here's what's going on. The author is giving us three gifts we receive when we are walking in God's word. We receive, we experience astonishing wonder, we gain true understanding, and we receive heart satisfaction. First three verses. Okay, now, with that in mind, then let's ask the second question. What does this stir the psalmist to do? Okay, if walking in God's word is going to give me marvel, wonder, and true understanding, and heart satisfaction, if that's what walking in God's word is going to do for me, then, then what's the author going to do? You'd all think he would say, walk in God's word, right? But that's not where he starts. He doesn't start just with trying on his own to walk in God's word. There's something else he starts with, which was so important. What should we do? The author doesn't start with just walking into God's word. He starts by praying and asking God to help him walk in God's word. So here's the resource. You say, what is this resource that Pastor Steve said God gives to us? It's prayer. And look at how he does it here. As, we, as you look through these next four verses, every one of them is him asking for God's help. Help me obey. We're going to see each of them. This is so crucial for us to learn. Now, don't misunderstand, okay? There's a place for effort in the Christian life. We don't ask God, help me to obey you, and then think we're just going to you know, sit there like channel surfing, and well, he's, he hasn't helped me yet, you know, but as soon as he does, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going I'm to do it. So... Uh, not yet. That's not how it works, okay? We pray, okay? We ask him for his help. We, we open up God's word. We fight the fight of faith by praying over God's promises. So we're, we're praying. We're using the scriptures. And then we step out in obedience and trust him to be changing our hearts and working. So prayer is not the only thing we do. But prayer is one of the most important things that we do. Prayer is where we should start in the process. That's where he starts. So look at the... There's six ways he prays, asking God to help him walk in God's word. Let's just go through each of them. First, verse 132, turn to me and be gracious to me, as is your way with those who love your name. Okay, he knows that apart from God's grace, he will never obey God. Do you understand that? I mean, have you so seen your Depravity is a, is a sinner. This is, this is true of me. This is true of you. 
Have you so seen that that you realize, O wretched man that I am, Paul says, who will deliver me from this body of death? Apart from God's grace, I can't do anything. I mean, unless you're abiding in Jesus, what does Jesus say you can do? Nothing, John 15. Do you recognize that? Or, I need to be more patient here, I'll just try to be more patient. Is your first step just to try to do it? Or is it to pray? And and he says, turn to me and be gracious to me, because he knows that apart from God's gracious work in his life, he can't do anything of of true obedience to God. I mean, outwardly, sure you can make yourself act more patient, but in terms of changing your heart so you're trusting God's promises, and because of Jesus and his glory, you're patient. Only God can do that in your heart, okay? And so he says, turn to me. Be gracious to me. So I would encourage you to pray this verse regularly. Turn to me, God. Be gracious to me, as is your way with those who love your name. Second request, verse 133. Keep steady my steps according to your promise. Which means, keep me trusting your promises. Keep me in the path of of being in accord with your promises, being in sync with your promises. Don't let me turn from trusting your promises. Work in my heart. Strengthen my faith so I can walk in your promises. Is that a great prayer? Have you ever prayed that prayer? Keep steady my steps according to your promise. Regularly pray that. Okay. Third, end of verse 133. Let no iniquity get dominion over me. This is wonderful news. just struck me this morning as I was praying over this again. Two truths, at least, in in that prayer. He says, let no iniquity have dominion over me. One truth is that God, by his power, through the cross, can do this. He can work so that no iniquity has dominion over you. And that doesn't mean you're sinless, doesn't mean you become perfect, but it means that whenever that temptation comes by God's grace through the power of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, right? No temptation's overtaken you, but such as is common to man. God is faithful, won't allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. So it's not that you're perfect, but that by God's grace, when that temptation rises, it doesn't need to overcome you. By God's grace, you'll be able to overcome it. That's one truth, is that God can do this. And then the second truth is that when we pray... He will. Because he prays that. Let no iniquity get dominion over me. See, through Jesus' death on the cross and the power of the Holy Spirit, he can put to death whatever sins have had dominion over you. Now, I don't want to make this sound too simple. Okay, It's not easy. And there will be battle on your part required. Okay, We don't just pray and then expect the, the switch to turn. But he'll give you grace to do the battle. He'll give you grace to resist it. He will give you grace to overcome it. He will so satisfy your heart and yourself that sin's promises of lesser satisfaction lose their power over you. It's war. And you say, help me to fight. Let no iniquity get dominion over me. Some of you have iniquity that has dominion over you. I hope you see what sweet news this is. This is the best news in the world. Through the cross, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ will meet you in that. Did I say that it's war? (laughs) I did. Okay, church, did I say this is war? Yes. So I don't make it sound like, well, if you just pray right, all of a sudden the switch will turn, it'll be fine. It's war, but he will give you grace, and you will see change. You'll experience freedom. He'll do it. Fourth, Verse 134, 
Redeem me from man's oppression that I may keep your precepts. We've seen in Psalm 119 that the author has men in his life who are seeking to turn him. They're persecuting him. They're seeking to turn his heart from God and his word. And the author does not want to turn from God and his word because he wants to walk in God's word where his heart will be satisfied and he'll have true wisdom and he'll see the wonder of of knowing God. So he, he wants to keep walking in God's word. But he has these men who are seeking to turn him from God's precepts. And so he prays, redeem me from man's oppression, which we could apply more broadly to praying, God, deliver me from evil, like Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer. Deliver me from temptation. Please, deliver me from temptations that will come my way today. Remove them from me. That's verse 134. Fifth, 135. Make your face shine upon your servant. Okay, that's a prayer that's found numerous times in the Old Testament. It means two different things, depending on the context. One is, bring earthly uh, help to me. Uh, harvest, protection from the Philistines, earthly help. Okay. The other meaning it can have, which is what I think it has here, is the spiritual blessing of beholding God's face in the word by the work of the Holy Spirit. Seeing his glory, trusting his love, sensing his nearness, that spiritual gift where God's face is shining upon you through the word and you can you can see and feel his love. The love of God's poured into your hearts by the Holy Spirit. And I think that's what's going on here because he's already just asked for his circumstances to change in the previous request. Let these men not oppress me, okay? And I think here then he's talking about the spiritual blessing of seeing and feeling the glory of God shining in Christ's face upon him. Last request, 135. Teach me your statutes. Okay, what does that mean? It doesn't mean that God whispers uh, what a passage means to you. Here's what it means. The way we learn what a passage means is we, we prayerfully open up God's word and we look at the words. Right? We look at the flow of thought. We're praying, God, help me to understand this. So that's how we grow prayerfully in understanding the passage. That's a crucial part. But what he's asking for here isn't just help me to intellectually understand this, but he's, he's asking God... Help me to, to spiritually sense the, the truth, sense the wonder, sense the beauty. Help me to, to see how amazing your love is. You know, you've had times where you've opened up the Bible and read about God's love and it's like, ho-hum. You've had other times where you've opened up God's word and read about his love and it's like, whoa, that's what you're asking God to do. Help me to see your love. Help me to see your mercy. Help me just to see your reality, that you are real. Help me to see the truth of heaven. Help me to see the truth of hell. Help me to see how short life is. Help me to see that Jesus is going to come back one day and everything's going to change. Help me to see that your glory is worth it all. Lord, teach me. Help me to understand your word. Okay, so here's six requests that he prays. And he prays them because as God answers them, he'll be walking in the word. And then he'll be experiencing the the three benefits in the first three verses. He'll be experiencing seeing the wonder of who God is and gaining the true understanding that he needs and of having his heart satisfied in God's presence. Okay, now, he's not done though yet. One more verse. And man, I struggled with this verse. What does this verse have to do with anything? Just like out of, like random, like somebody cut and pasted something, just like totally, oops, that's a mistake, you know. So here's the verse, 
My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. Okay. Well, as I thought about it, listed possibilities. I mean, what does this have to do with the other verses? Here's what I think is going on. I think he's answering the question, how does God answer this prayer? All these, these six requests. How does God answer, or, or does God answer his prayer? He says, my eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. He's talking here about people who are not walking in God's word. People who are not trusting God's mercy. People who are not forgiven for their sins, who are not saved. So he's talking about people who are lost. Okay? And he's thinking about how lost they are. And he's weeping over them. His eyes are shedding streams of tears. So he's weeping and weeping and weeping over the plight of the unsaved who are going to face judgment forever unless they're saved. That's what's happening in his heart now. So you got these first seven verses, kind of flow of thought, and then all of a sudden here he is weeping and weeping and weeping over the lost. What's going on? Why does he write about that? And I, I think this is what's going on. I think, hang on, James. Uh, he, here's the flow. 129 to 131. He's described what he gets when he's walking in God's word. Okay? And then 132 to 135, he asks God to help him walk in God's word. And I think in verse 136 then, he's, he wants to walk in God's word. He's praying, God, help me to walk in your word. He's just prayed, help me, help me. And then God has moved in his heart. And God could have done dozens of things to help him walk in God's word. But what God brings into his heart all of a sudden is, look at the lost. Look at how lost they are. Look at the destiny that they face. And he's weeping with compassion. So here God has answered his prayers by strengthening him in an area of obedience. Now again, there could have been dozens of ways God does this. But here he is praying, God, don't let sin have dominion over me. God, keep me faithful in your promises. God, let your face shine upon me. And then God moves upon him and he is weeping over lost people. See, that's part of walking in God's word, right? Is weeping over the lost. And here God has answered his prayer and is growing him in this area of obedience. So that's what I think is going on here. The point is when we earnestly pray and ask God to help us walk in his word, he will answer. Dozens of ways he could do it, but he will do it. He could do it immediately. He can do it gradually over time. He can do both. He probably will do both, but he will answer. These six requests will never go unanswered if we pray them in Christ's name, not with self-righteousness, but relying on his righteousness alone. And we come with humble, needy faith. He'll answer every single time. Okay, now let's open it up for some questions. What questions does this stir in your mind uh, in terms of from this passage? Like what? It's like, I don't get this. I don't understand this. What's happening with this? What questions? Sometimes it doesn't happen right away. Okay? Um, there's a huge place for perseverance in prayer, right? Uh, Jesus tells a couple different parables about that. And so keep praying. Keep praying. And it's in his love and it's in his wisdom that he's not answering right away. How many of you have experienced, as you look back, that what a mercy from God it was to have me need to pray for that for a lengthy period of time? How many of you can look back and just say, yes, that was such wisdom and such love from God? I mean, really, honestly, how many of you can say that? Okay, a number of you can. But it was hard with, with the delay, right? It wasn't easy. 
But in hindsight now, you can see what God did. And one of the reasons is because it's just so precious to be before the Lord. Help me, Lord. Help me. Help me. It's pulling me. Help me. I need you. Open up the word. Pray. Have some brothers and sisters get around you and pray too. Right? And the Lord does want us to persevere. Somebody posted on my blog, a comment on my blog this week about, um, and I don't think this is helpful, but they have a pattern of a small group when they pray, and as soon as they finish praying a prayer, they say, it is done. And the idea is you should never have to pray about it again if you really believed God that time. I don't think that's helpful. I don't think it's biblical. Um, Paul prayed three times for his thorn in the flesh, right? It's good to pray three times for something. Four times is good, too. Dozens of times is really good. I've had, we've, many of us have had things we've been praying for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. And so you just keep praying. So don't, don't think that if you really believed that you wouldn't need to pray about it again. That's just nowhere in the Bible. So when you keep praying about something, it increases your faith. I, I find that it increases my appreciation for it when it does come. Which those, These are all precious gifts from God. He's such a wise, loving father. Okay, He does delay sometimes because he loves us so much and he's so wise. He knows exactly what, we, what will bring us the most joy in him. He knows. Okay, here's my encouragement to you. Um, don't use the just do it approach to obeying Christ, to obeying God's word. Don't, don't do that. It um, doesn't work. Uh, or if you think it does work, you are totally misunderstanding God's commands and thinking it's just outer actions. They all touch the heart. Right? You understand, you can, we can do outer actions by just choosing. You can show up here in church on a Sunday morning, okay, and have your mind be somewhere else the whole time, okay? But to, to come and to behold God's glory in Christ and to love your brothers and sisters and to, to drink in the word, those are, those are works that God has to do. We can't make that happen. We need God's help, and so we need to pray. And, and so I want to encourage you. When you pray these six requests, in Jesus' name, coming before the throne of grace, when you pray these, God will answer them. In the exact degree and at the exact time, that would be the best for you in terms of your closeness to Him and your beholding His glory. So when you pray... Turn to me and be gracious to me. He will. He will. And when you pray, keep steady my steps according to your pro- his promise. He will. Keep your steps steady. And when you pray, redeem me from man's oppression, that is, remove temptations from me. He will. He will answer that. And when you ask God to, to make his face shine upon you, he will. He'll make his loving, glorious presence real to you as you pray. And when you ask God to teach you his word, he will teach you his word. So don't just do it. Ask God to help you do it. Okay? Ask God to help you do it. And as you do that, he will. He will help you. Now let's stand together. I want to pray this over us and ask God to sink this word deep into our hearts. So Lord, I pray that you'd come right now by the power of your spirit through the word 
and that you would strengthen the faith of those who are deeply discouraged about their Christian lives. They've tried and tried and tried and tried, and they have failed and failed and failed and failed, and they're discouraged. And I pray, Lord, that that you would breathe fresh hope into their hearts through this passage. You love them in Christ. That through Christ you have completely forgiven them. That through Christ you have justified them. They're clothed in Jesus' perfect righteousness. That they are adopted into your family. That they, through faith alone in Christ alone, are new creations. And that you will continue the good work you've started in them, as you've promised. That you will bring them to blamelessness and perfection in glory. And that they will see evidence of that growth now. That you will do this. Lord, I pray, strengthen faith right now. That through the cross, since power was broken. And with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, that's applied to us. We don't become perfect in this life, but we will see growth taking place in this life. So Lord, bring hope right now to those who are discouraged. God, I pray for any who are a little bit puzzled by this message because they, they think that they're, they're kind of doing it on their own. I mean, they're going to church and they're not lying and they're, they're paying their bills and, and yet, Lord, their hearts, their hearts are unaffected. They don't love Jesus. They don't love your people for Jesus' sake. They don't weep over their sin and, Lord, their hearts haven't been touched. Lord, help them see that, that they're not obeying you, that their hearts need to be affected and, Lord, bring them to their knees before you and then pour out your work upon them in a fresh way, I pray. Do that, Lord. Pour out your grace. And then, Lord, just, I also want to pray this too. So touched by how he, his eyes shed streams of tears for the lost. I need more of that, Lord. And we need more of that, Lord. Help us see eternity, heaven, hell, your holiness and righteousness, the plight of the lost here in San Jose and amongst the unreached people groups around the world, help us to weep, Lord, like you wept, Jesus, over Jerusalem. And then help us to pray for them and to love them and to share the gospel with them. So come and do a powerful work in us as a church body, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.